0: This morning, the action picks up in John's Gospel. That over the last three months, I've preached through chapters 13 through 17 uh, of John, which primarily consists of Jesus teaching his disciples on the night before his death. Now, Jesus said a lot in those chapters, but not a lot happened. They just talked. It is great talk, don't get me wrong. But now, in chapter 18, things just speed right ahead. And then over the next few weeks, we are going straight to the cross. And so this morning, we're going to look at John chapter 18, beginning in verse 1 through verse 27. So I'd encourage you, open up your Bibles, or you can look at the sermon text in your bulletin. John chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. So, Jesus and his disciples have been together. This is the night before he would die. He is teaching them, and they leave the upper room where they were. And we pick up the story there. John chapter 18, verses 1 through 27. Let us hear the word of God. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those whom you gave me. I have, not lo- I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound Him. First they led Him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered them I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. And at once a rooster crowed. Let us pray. Well, Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank You that You are a God who speaks truth to us. And I pray, O Lord, today that You would speak through me, in spite of my sin, in spite of my weakness, that Your Word might go forth clearly and truly so that we would understand it and that You, O God, by Your Spirit would apply this Word to us. And so, God, I pray for all of us here that You would give us ears to hear, that the distractions of today... that the cares of this world would fade away and that we would give ear to You, O God, as You speak through Your Word. Open our hearts and minds to hear what You have to say, to receive it as truth, and that You, O God, would work in us by that powerful Word and by Your Spirit and so draw us closer to Jesus. It's in His name we pray. Amen. As you listened to our sermon text, you may have felt like we were bouncing between Jesus and Peter, almost like they are characters on a TV show. And they are the two main characters, and we're just bouncing from scene to scene because they're not really in the same scene, necessarily. Yes, there are other people mentioned in the story, like Annas and Caiaphas and Malchus and all those fun names that we didn't name our children. But the people who are really in focus in this chapter are Jesus and Peter. That John has intentionally interwoven the information about Peter and Jesus in order to contrast them as they face their respective trials. And so John essentially gives us two scenes where we see a contrast. The first one focusing on their actions The second one, focusing on their words. And so we're going to look at each of those scenes and the contrast presented and how this should encourage us because we are going to face trials of our own. So the first scene takes place in a garden, likely a grove of olive trees. Sounds very nice. The other Gospels tell us the name of the place is Gethsemane. And it is in this garden that we see a contrast between the actions of Jesus and Peter. We are told that Jesus did not go to this garden in order to hide. In fact, it was just the opposite. It was a place that he often went with his disciples when he was in Jerusalem. Going to this garden was a normal practice. So normal that Judas Iscariot knew, yeah, he's going to be there. We always go there. Same place all the time. And so Judas, who we haven't seen for over four chapters, had been busy betraying Jesus. He gathers up both Jewish religious leaders and Roman soldiers, and he leads them to the garden, and they come expecting resistance. They have torches and lanterns to find Jesus if he is hiding, and they have weapons if Jesus and his disciples try to fight back. See, the Jews were smart. They knew Jesus had shown miraculous power. We need a big group to go and get this guy. And the Romans were experienced. They knew that if we're arresting this guy, he's not going to come quietly. So let's bring our weapons. Let's go. They are expecting a confrontation. But rather than run, hide, or fight, we are told that Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and spoke. Jesus knew this would be his very last free moment before he died. He knew that up ahead was grotesque injustice, cruel mockery, horrific pain. All of that was waiting for him, and yet this was the path of obedience. By stepping forward, Jesus shows he is fully focused on being faithful to his Father. We see that this is his choice. It is so strong in this passage. This is Jesus's choice. He initiates the conversation. And we see that again in verse six, where the group that's trying to arrest him falls back to the ground. Now, it's kind of confusing what happens. John doesn't tell us a lot. He just, Jesus says, I am he, and they fall backwards to the ground. And so some people have thought, well, maybe they're just awestruck That someone would give themselves up. Wow, I am blown away that he is going to do... Well, it's probably not that. You don't fall to the ground if you're going to turn yourself in. Others have thought, well, maybe this was like an involuntary reaction. Like when people in the wizarding world hear the name Voldemort. That when the Jews heard, I am he, it was like the name Yahweh. And they fell back to the ground. But that doesn't explain the Roman soldiers. They'd be like, what are you guys doing? What's going on? And so what is happening here? Well, it seems like a glimpse of Christ's true power and authority breaking through when He speaks. Think about our Old Testament reading from Isaiah 11, where we read, "...with the breath of His lips He shall kill the wicked." That Jesus spoke in that garden, and His words threatened to kill the wicked men arresting Him. His words reveal that one day Jesus will speak again when he speaks in righteous judgment against the wicked and they will fall down and will not rise. Their falling backward is a real reminder that it is Jesus who is in control, even though he is arrested. But for that moment in the garden, Christ's strength is not seen in his power, but in his self-control. He willingly submits himself to his Father's will. He denies his own desires for safety and for comfort. And self-control is a very weird thing to us. We could put it on the endangered species list. Self-control is not a virtue of today. Our world measures strength by one's willingness to forcefully fight for your perceived rights. That is strength. Violence is praised in pursuit of protecting the precious rights that you feel entitled to. But not self-control. We're not sick today. We're great. We're great. We're doing good. And so this modern attitude... We'll get there. We'll get there. This modern attitude shines through in Peter. Who You look at Peter and you're like, you have courage, you have strength, you have zeal. You're acting. You're doing what we would do today. And yet Jesus tried to protect his disciples. Let them go. Peter was having none of that. No, you're not protecting us. I'm going to protect you. And we get this sloppy slice of a sword. Just just taking an ear off. And many people might look at that and go, that's bravery. That's strength. But not Jesus. Peter cannot see that Jesus is choosing this path for good reasons. One commentator writes that Peter's bravery is not only useless, it is a denial of the work to which Jesus has just consecrated himself. What Peter shows us in this passage is that what we perceive as strong conviction and heroic courage can in fact be foolish zeal. That bold action can be wrong. Meaning well is not enough. We need truth to guide our actions. See, Jesus called us to seek first His kingdom, but He wants us to seek first His kingdom His way according to His word, not according to the world's strategies. And so today, we may try to change our community our family, our nation. But are we doing so in a way that so emphasizes bold action and conviction that we neglect gentleness and prayer and loving our enemies? See, many of us can be quick to take up the sword but reluctant to take up our cross. We prefer strength that is not seen in self-control. But Jesus shows us how to act when facing a trial. And Peter shows us how we can often justify our bad actions with good intentions. Because our zeal must be guided with knowledge. Our conviction must be rooted in truth. Our courage must be self-controlled as we faithfully submit ourselves to God's word and all that it says. And so that's the first scene. (coughs) as Jesus speaks to us about the actions here. The second scene moves us to the house of the high priest, or rather the father-in-law of the high priest. And it is here we see a contrast between Jesus and Peter and their words. And so this group that arrests Jesus, they bring him to the house of Annas, who appears to be the real power behind his son-in-law, Caiaphas, who's the high priest. See, over the years, <clears throat> sorry, over the years, Annas had a number of sons who served as the high priest, so much so that it would be like the family business. And so he has these sons and these sons-in-laws, and they each took their turn being high priest. And that shows us that Annas is probably the power behind the power, the guy you really go to to get stuff done. And so they bring Jesus to him. We're going to go for one more good call. <coughs> we'll make it we're going to make it Lord help me okay. <coughs> it's always on Sunday you know <coughs> so let's imagine ourselves in Jesus' situation <coughs> we're hanging out at night a large group comes carrying torches and swords And they come and say you're under arrest. And so they tie you up and they take you to the house of a very important person who has the power to put you in jail. Now, some of us in that situation might incriminate ourselves by using our words badly. How dare you? What are you doing? Take your hands off of me. What is the meaning of this? Others of us might use our words in different ways. Confessing to things we have never even done just hoping that it's going to be over. Okay, I did it. I don't know what it is, but I totally did it. Just let me go, let me go, let me go, please. And that was the point. They were trying to intimidate Jesus to force a confession of crimes or to force him to deny any ambition. The Jews wanted to either kill the movement or kill the man. And by the next day, they wanted to do either or both. But here, notice how Jesus responds. He sees right through what it is they are doing. That if he was guilty, the people arresting him would bring charges, not questions. If he was guilty, this would be happening during the day, not under the cover of night. And so Jesus calmly assures his captors, I've always taught in public, openly in tabernacles, in synagogues, in temples, for all to hear that yes, I teach my disciples in private, but it's the same stuff I told everyone else. They're just slower. I can't get them to understand what I'm saying. And so he's saying there's no sinister plot to overthrow the authorities. I have tons of witnesses about what I have said. And so Jesus shows us that standing with the truth gives you confidence whereas the authorities show us that you have to scramble in the dark to justify lies and wicked actions. They needed backroom deals and betrayals in order to achieve their plots. But Jesus, meanwhile, reminds us that truth will win in the end. He calmly speaks the truth when on trial, knowing God's going to work this out. I know what's true, and I'll say what's true. This confidence of Jesus is contrasted then with the cowardice of Peter. That even though Jesus predicted Peter was going to deny him three times, it still hurts to read it. And so, an unnamed disciple, almost certainly John, who wrote this, helps get Peter into the court of the high priest. But what is Peter even doing there? He's surely not there to try and take everyone down with his sword. Is he trying to make up for his error? Is this some sort of curiosity and loyalty? What is is he doing? We don't know why Peter decides to follow Jesus. But we know what happens. Peter faces a trial of his own. Not the trial that is the center of attention, but a sideshow trial over here. A servant girl asks him, You're not one of this guy's disciples, are you? I am not. He says, now we can try to excuse this as a way to be secretive and to enter the court without being in danger. But again, why are you there, man? Why do you have to be there? This girl is not going to interrupt this heated hearing about Jesus to tattle on Peter. Why are you denying when there is no threat? John Calvin writes that Peter had boasted that he would prove a valiant champion, able to face death resolutely. And now, at the voice of just one girl, and without any threatening, he is beaten. He throws down his weapons. And after that first denial, it was easy to keep on denying That sin is like that. It builds momentum like a snowball rolling downhill. It is hard to stop once we start. We know why Peter did this. We know why he denied. He wanted the joys and triumphs of following Jesus, but did not want the suffering and shame. He wanted to follow Jesus, but not at a cost. He was not willing to suffer it. He failed in small trials. He was not going to succeed in bigger trials. Peter is a cautionary tale for us. And so we must ask ourselves, how do we fare when we face the trials and shame that come with following Jesus? See, day after day, we will face tiny trials where we can deny our faith in Jesus to ourselves and to others. It may be a polite affirmation of sin so that we don't stand out as weird in the world. It may be remaining silent when we should speak. It may be slowly letting our children be shaped by the world instead of by the Word. And each and every one of those many denials we can justify. But the danger is that they grow into a cowardly pattern of denying Jesus. God has revealed His truth to us so that we might believe it with conviction. He has promised us His truth will win in the end, that the lies of the evil one will be exposed, that the false promises of the world will not be delivered. Jesus shows us, here is how to speak the truth in love. And Peter shows us how quickly we can fail when faced with the slightest opposition. And so looking at these two scenes, we are left wondering, what hope is there for us? Because we are way more like Peter than Jesus. When trials come, our faith ends up faltering. And in light of our New Testament reading from Matthew 10, 32 and 33, we should be afraid. It says, "...everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven." But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. That is a frightening warning. But even though that warning is given before Jesus dies, it is meant for the period after His victorious resurrection. And so we need to take comfort when we hear such a frightening warning. Comfort from two sources. First... We will see at the very end of John's Gospel that Peter is forgiven and restored. And so that warning of Matthew 10.33 did not hold for Peter and what he was struggling with. That Christ's heart went out to his disciple and forgave him when his faith falters. And so that should comfort us. And the second source of comfort is the promise of the Holy Spirit. You see, earlier in our New Testament reading, in verse 20, Jesus says the Spirit of your Father will speak through you when you are on trial. Well, the Holy Spirit had not yet been given to Jesus' followers until 50 days after his resurrection. They had not been equipped to face these kind of trials. Peter didn't care. Let me take the test. I'm totally not ready, but I'm going to take it. And he failed. He didn't have the Spirit. He was not equipped to succeed. And so we see the hope in verses 8 and 9 of John 18. Jesus in the garden, like a good shepherd, steps in front of his disciples and says, take me, but leave them out of this. They are not yet ready to be tried. They are going to fail because they have not yet seen all that I have come to do. They have not yet been filled with the Holy Spirit." Peter didn't listen, and so he failed. He did not accept Christ's protection, but he acted in foolish zeal and ended up being a coward before the Lord. He recklessly ran into a trial that he was not yet equipped to face. But we today can be equipped to face the trials in our lives. Because we need Jesus to pass His trial before we face ours. And He has. Because we know that Jesus was faithful in His trial. We know that we are already accepted based on Christ's perfect faithfulness and not our own. We know now that we have the courage to face death knowing that Jesus promises eternal life. We have the comfort of knowing that we can be forgiven and restored when we fail. We have the confidence in God's truth in the Bible as the Spirit testifies about this truth to us. And so we are going to have troubles and trials in this life. Brothers and sisters, there will be many of them of different kinds. Some are going to be huge and obvious, leading us to cry out for courage from the Spirit that we would remain faithful to Jesus. But more often than not, we are going to face the daily trials of ordinary suffering and mild opposition. Those trials don't always seem significant, and yet they are the training ground of our faith, the place where the Spirit strengthens us for greater trials to come. And so as we hear from our word today, may we trust in our faithful Lord and Savior to equip us for whatever trials we face today. May He fill us with His faithfulness that we might grow in our faith as the steadfast Spirit works in us. And may our actions and our words be so shaped by God's Word that our confidence and conviction in the Lord shines through for all to see. Let us pray for that strength. O Lord God, we thank You that You are a God who equips us for the trials that lie ahead. That You forgive us and restore us when we fail. We pray O oh God that you would help us to be faithful because we know we are so unfaithful. May we trust in Christ and His own faithfulness. Lord, help us to stand firm for you, knowing that opposition is all around us. In fact, opposition is in our hearts for our sinful nature desires to go astray from you. and so we pray you would help us to keep it, help us to be faithful in the strength of the Spirit in Jesus name. Amen.